Good afternoon, morning, evening, wherever you are, whatever you are listening. I'm John Vogel. Welcome into the sickest NFL draft podcast, the sick podcast with Draft Vogel. We got stand-up edge rushers to discuss today. And at the at this at this current recording time, it's Tuesday, uh, right after the second slate of Monday night football games. And uh, we got some really good guys to talk about. So let's get into it. Shane, go ahead and hit it. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Draft Vogel. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. The first pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. With the first pick... In the 2023 NFL Draft. The sickest NFL Draft show. It's going to be sick. Sick, sick. sick. Well, let's go ahead and bring our co-host into this, Justin Gamble, at Gamscout on Twitter. Hey, so there's there's one thing that happened uh, this weekend, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think as Coach Prime likes to say, to be prime, you got to look prime. So, say, what up, Dion? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, what a game that was Saturday night. Uh, Colorado Buffaloes are three and zero, uh, and I would say Dion Sanders has taken the nation by storm. Uh, it's been a fun weekend if you watch college football and indulge in such things like we do as draft scouts. But I'm going to go ahead and wear these for the duration of the podcast because you know it's so fitting. We That's all Colorado fans now. We're all Colorado fans. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to wear them the whole time. It's a little intimidating, a little off-putting, but I'll deal. I can't see hey, your eyes now, bro. My, my mama, she didn't teach me to take my hat and my sunglasses oh, off, and I'm boy. talking to adults. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, right, barely but... sneaks it out, man. Barely snuck yeah. it out. And I was in Boulder for that one. And let me, the, the people were sweating out there, bro. No, I bet they were. It was tense, man. It was tense. Yeah, I fell for the whole 23 point gimmick on the line thing. I was like, yeah, they're going to come out there and smoke them. And uh, so I think it was about the third quarter when I was like, all right, I, I've already lost that. So. We're just yeah. going to move on. <laughs> yeah. I, think I, took, uh, I took 13 and a half, and I was like, they'll hit this. Like, you know, two touchdowns. They beat Nebraska by 20-something. I was like, this will hit. We're good. We're good. Nope. Nah, Overtime. Man, that, that was an outrageous game. But CSU has some dudes, man. They have the receiver, the tight end. The quarterback looked good. That was a team that, like, I don't know how they're getting shellacked by everyone they're playing. And then they have all that talent that they show out versus CU. It didn't make any sense, but – Hopefully, uh, some of those boys will show out the rest of the year, too, because, yeah, they have some draftable guys in that squad. So I'm actually going to see them on Saturday uh, at MTSU. So I'll be at the MTSU game, 6 p.m., kickoff, make it all-day event. MTSU's got some guys, too, that we'll definitely talk about at some point this year. We're definitely going to talk about the – you know, Colorado State's got a couple really good receivers as well. In fact, one that's probably going to go top 75. So – but anyways – Getting into our podcast today, man, we got stand-up edge rushers. And like I started off with, last night, if you were watching Monday Night Football, it's Tuesday night when we're recording this, uh, we saw one of the best stand-up edge rushers go to work yet again. Uh, Came up with, I think he had a sack last night. That's four on the season now. And a fumble recovery for a touchdown. And I think that's probably a good place to start this show is talking about TJ Watt. TJ Watt. The difference between the stand-up guys and the three-point hand-in-the-dirt guys, um, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like much, but they have vastly res- different responsibilities. Um, I think it's a different pass rush approach. And yet TJ Watt has been, since he came into the league, one of the best ones. Um, we saw Micah Parsons go absolutely nuts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This weekend. <laughs> yeah. Jeez um, <laughs> Louise, man. There's some – the NFL has a problem where – there's not enough good offensive tackles right now, but there's way too many good young edge rushers and established edge rushers. And, you know, the edge rushers are winning the battle each week because um, I I don't know how I would handle some of these guys. Like Micah Parsons comes in at 6'4", 250 or whatever, running four threes. That's not fair. Um, no. And, you know, TJ Watt doesn't run anything close to that. And even he looks like uh, an, an alien and a problem out there. So I'm like some of these younger, twitchier smaller too like i don't know where they come from or how we breed them but uh yeah this this should be a good podcast because there's a lot of 
these ones when you look through drafthistory.com and you go through and see like, oh, wow, like there's another one I forgot about. There's another one that's, you know, I was looking at Echenna Nuosu um, from USC and now he's making yep. a name for himself in the NFL. He kind of blossomed late. Caleb on Chason from LSU. Mm-hmm. I think he was the 20th pick in the 2020 draft. This might be the year where he finally starts to look like the guy we thought he could be. Um, so, yeah, man. Uh, well, it sounds like you've already started our first point here, I think, because, <laughs> you know, we talk, I think the first kind of thing that you're looking at when you're evaluating these guys is long speed versus short burst. Yeah. You know, so like, I think that we, uh, we get so caught up in the 40 yard dash, right? Where we're always worried about the 40 yard dash. What was this 40? Was it under four, eight, blah, 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 blah. And we miss on these certain aspects of short burst. Yeah. I know the sunglasses just stop. Laughing, no, I just can't. I'm sorry. I'm Deal sorry. with it. it Deal with it. it. It's it happening. It's happening. Yep. Yes. Prime, baby. Uh, so- <laughs> Come on. Don't. don't <laughs> okay. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, no, no, no. I think so. Short burst, right? So, TJ yeah. Watt, I think, is a perfect example of a guy that has great short burst and short areas, right? So, when you, when you have short burst and you can hit those space, those spaces, accelerate very quickly in those certain areas, that's what TJ Watt does. And it makes him look a lot faster than he is because TJ didn't run a very fast 40 yard dash. He wasn't one of those guys that did that. And, you know, he's obviously been a very productive. He just passed last night, became the all time Steelers sack, career sack leader. He beat James Harrison out last night. That's another outstanding stand up edge rusher from the past. Yeah. Uh, so he beat his record already. James Harrison was there over a decade. TJ hasn't sniffed a decade yet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the yeah. the potential for him is tremendous at this yeah. point of his career. Um, so when you're looking at an edge rusher, I think the first thing you want to look at is don't worry so much about the 40-yard dash. And this is one of those where you want to start looking at measurables like, hey, what's his 10-yard burst, this first 10 yards of that? What's that short burst look like? Because that's going to be a much more accurate indicator of your first step and how quickly you are in that specific area of the field. Yeah, I think the way I kind of look at it is a lot of the guys that keep their hand in the dirt, they usually do it because they probably had to. Um, When you get to the guys that can stand up and rush, these are like shooting guards, small forward type athletes that can cross you over, that have elite feet, that understand how to make guys miss in a phone booth, basically. Mm I think one of the key things that I've written down over the years is, especially if you're undersized, if you're an undersized 3-4 rusher or an outside linebacker, uh, stand-up rusher, you got to have counters. But the only way to have counters and a lot of inside counters is, is what I'm talking about, is you got to have good feet and you got to have a functional core to where you can really basically, like you're dribbling a basketball, cross a guy over while running up field full speed. And that's what separates some of the busts like I wrote down Vic Beasley, um, Zach Bond, who came out in the 2020 draft from Wisconsin, Chris Rumpf in 2021 from Duke. A lot of these undersized guys that dominate in college and they get to the NFL and the offensive tackles are just as athletic, athlete, just as athletic as they are. Now they have to add stuff to the repertoire. Just speed and athleticism won't do it. They got to have functional strength. They got to have counter moves. And if they don't have that, if they're too segmented of a mover or they just can't, you know, dip and bend while having someone's hand on you and maintain up the arc, then you're not going to succeed. And that's what TJ Watt has. That's what Micah Parsons has. Von Miller, um, Terrell Suggs, Tom Bahali, Justin Houston, all these great stand-up rushers that we've seen over the years. These guys are elite, elite athletes. And they can – because a lot of times we see stand-up rushers – they come off the line and they don't blow off the line. We usually see that with like the three point guys, the hand in the dirt. Their goal is to just, you know, as soon as they see the snap, fly upfield and see if you can threaten upfield. And probably you're going to end up competing speed to power. You're going to have to go through the offensive tackle if you don't beat them upfield. But these stand up guys, like I said about crossing dudes over, they, a lot of times we see them kind of hesitate off the line and they're such good athletes. They can wait it out and counter outside, inside you know, spin inside, spin outside. They can do so many different things. So um, there's just, it's a much more diversified rush plan you have to have and be able to execute as a stand-up guy. But we're seeing a lot of dudes do it. So so you've talked to, 
you mentioned the bus that you wrote down, which I'm glad you wrote some down and, and thank you for sending yeah. them to me before the episode uh, so that I could be ready for that. <laughs> I just uh, got home like three minutes ago. That's fine. That's fine. I'll take it. But Vic Beasley is a good place to start because yeah. Beasley was a guy that came out of Clemson. We talked a little bit about Clemson last week and the, you know, the, the scheme that they ran for several years when Brent Venables was the defensive coordinator there and how it masked a lot of deficiencies that these guys had in their game. Yeah. But it also opened up opportunities for these guys to be productive in the scheme. And, and Beasley, I think, was a really good example of that type of a player in college where he was in a really good scheme where he was able to be very productive. He had one productive season in the NFL. It just happened to be the year the Falcons went to the Super Bowl. And I think if you go back and you look at some of what they did, it was a lot of similar stuff using Beasley in that specific role where, hey, we got to scheme him to get opportunities where he's going to win. We got to shoot him through gaps. We got to find ways to stunt him. And that's where they were able to use him because he had 14 and a half sacks that year. Like people kind of forget about that. That's I a, think he had four against the Broncos one game yeah, too. He, like, he sacked Paxton Lynch four times in one game. Just Paxton and, uh, Lynch, but still, you know, I mean, <laughs> you got to beat that offensive line. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Beasley had a very productive year that one year that game that got him bought in really three or four more years in the NFL. And then he was in yeah. another one of our, our friends in the XFL this past year playing for the Vegas Vipers. So the thing he with, was, uh, no, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say the thing with him was it's, he's one of these guys where he had some athletic ability, you know, where he tested really, really well. And I don't think he was necessarily as good in the short burst as he was, Long at, at long like his long speed and and those types of things. I don't. I think his short burst lacked. And that's funny you say that because well, for people who don't know either, this Vic Beasley came out in the 2015 draft. He was the eighth overall pick that year, um, mm -hmm. and that year had Dante Fowler, Shane Ray, um, Randy Gregory, who ended up falling to the second round um, because of I believe marijuana type stuff. But yep. Vic Beasley was like all the rage. People thought he was like this elite speed rusher that was going to come in and just dominate with his athletic ability. He was one of the first years I really started to get into uh, evaluating. And for some reason, I couldn't figure out what I didn't like about him. I just I don't think I could articulate it to myself well enough at that point to be like, I don't I don't something's off with this guy. But he looking back on it now, he was high cut, which is not ideal uh, as an edge rusher. You don't want to be too high cut, which means his legs are a little too long. And that's tough to kind of alter your stride length when you're running up field and it's tough to you know bend and dip when your legs are super long he also had really thin hips he didn't really hold his weight that well so mm -hmm. you knew like you know he's not going to hold a lot of functional weight he comes into the combine at 6'3 245 but i think everyone that year had it on good word he plays at about 225 they put you know they juice this kid up for the combine to look good and you know, hold it for like a week or two test well and then we know you know this is never going to happen again but he was all speed he was speed up field and he had no functional strength. He had no speed to power. His hands were made of jelly. There was no, you know, shock if he ever got his hands on a, on a tackle. He was just hopefully he can run and, you know, beat the guy on the upfield shoulder and that's how he'll win. He did it. I think he beat Ty Sambrello when he played the Broncos that game. He faced backup tackle Ty Sambrello out of CSU and he beat him four times. And it was, and it was a straight up ass whooping, but it, did, it wasn't sustainable. And so I think Beasley was kind of fool's gold because he comes out of Clemson, like you mentioned. Venables made him look amazing in that scheme, just getting him isolated and getting him free rushes all the time. But then he comes to the NFL and he had one trick and he didn't have good feet. He didn't have, you know, counter moves. He had nothing else. And so he fizzled out. But um, he is one of those like early scouting lessons for me that um, I wrote down after him. Uh, uh, we get caught up watching strength for like edge rushes. We always like, oh, how how good's their strength setting the edge and the run, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's really that relevant for these guys that are undersized. What we really want to see is when they're rushing up field, do they have hand strength? Do they jolt guys? Um, can they operate with hands on them? Beasley was not that guy. We got to look at, you know, what they are able to do when they're the ones inflicting, um, mm -hmm. like, you know, imposing their will. But he was not that guy. He had thin hips. And that's another thing. Um, like Chris Rumpf came out, uh, in the, we'll move to him real quick. 2021, he was the fourth round pick, 13th pick from Duke. He was 6'3, 235, 33 and three quarter arms. Um, he was a lightning bolt in college, uh, long frame, so speedy, but then he gets to the NFL, 
super, super thin hips. So he can't really hold, you know, a lot of weight. His butt can't get too big, which is, you know, we, we love butts in this industry. Didn't have a big butt. Um, didn't have functional strength. Didn't really have, he was so much of a linear rusher that he didn't really have a lot of counters. His feet weren't great. So now he's another guy where you say he's just like Vic Beasley. Um, these undersized guys, unless they have the one thing they really need, which is counters and that ability to be kind of a fluid athlete in space, they're going to bust. Um, and we see it all the time. So um, I think like I wrote down some, some hits too, but we'll get to that. But um, yeah, so no, I got Rump, two, Rump, is, Rump, Rump's another one, you know, where I, I, I didn't like Rump coming out, you know, and, yeah. and it was because I thought he was too small. And you mentioned, you know, Vic Beasley again, he, he definitely had that vibe about him, right? When, when, uh, at Duke. And, and it also kind of goes back a little bit to that, what, you know, that, that, um, what I was talking about last week with Jermaine Johnson, you know, and, and the AC, the lack of depth in the ACC, you know, it, it is a real thing. When you watch yeah. the ACC and the Big 12 and you go compare that to what you just saw playing the, in the Big 10 or in the SEC, those are two completely different you know, levels of, of skill and depth across the board. Yeah. And so, you know, you're going to have good players in, in those leagues, but they're, they're much fewer and far between than they are in those other conferences. So to me, when I would watch him, I didn't see a lot of strength. I saw a guy that had to win with speed and I didn't think he was that great of an athlete. Um, not, that was not a guy that I was a big fan of. And I remember that was a year I was getting into it really hard uh you know the 2020 draft i had a lot of guys that i liked that people didn't <laughs> jalen hurts <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know yeah. uh and so i was i was very vocal very physical like very adamant about some of my uh decisions as we all are when we we get in we first start in the media side we're very adamant we're very hey i know i i can see i can see it blah 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 and you know it takes a couple of years but i think before you're humbled a little bit and when you get humbled, yeah. now it opens up your mind a little bit, makes you a little bit more mindful, and you kind of go, "Hey, okay, I can see that. I can see why you like this guy. Here's why I don't like him. I'm going to agree to disagree, and I'm just going to leave it at that, you know, because that's what we're going to do." But Rumpf was one of those guys that it was just—it was very clear that he was not going to be a solid NFL pick, and it was really because he's—he's he's too small, he's too yeah. small, not strong enough, and he's just yeah. a speed guy, and he's not that great of an athlete. Yeah. And that sounds harsh to say, but it, I mean, it's just the, it, it's not that these guys are bad athletes. They're just not athletes that can survive in the NFL. Um, and, you know, a lot of them, like, the, like we, I always say, you want a guy in a spot where he can thrive, not survive. We talk about it with like guards that we think or tackles that we might move to guard or corners moving to safety or blah, blah, blah. Some of these speed rushers, yeah, people are like, well, just, you know, get them isolated and blitz them and blah, blah, blah. Like get them in, their, in the right spots. I don't want to have to alter my defensive game plan to put this tweener in the right spot. I need guys that I can move around that the defense or the offense doesn't see him and know, all right, well now we know he's capable of one thing. So that's what he's in here for. You got to have guys that are versatile and that can, you know, help your defense in multiple ways. And um, some of these guys, sure. They're good enough athletes to be on an NFL team, but are they good enough to really help you and be productive in multiple ways? Not really. Um, And that's another guy that I saw bust. Before, before you bring up this bus, yeah. though, yeah, this brings up a good point because, you know, we're talking about the difference. You have to be more than just a speed rusher. You know, right. you can have a speed rushers, you know, a, a skill set, but you have to be able to provide more than that before I'm going to alter my defense to fix that. And if you look at what I'm going to bring up the Eagles again, because, look, the Philadelphia Eagles on the defensive side have set standards that the rest of the league is is picking up and starting to run with. They've been doing that the last six, seven years. And so the thing that they did last year is they got a hold of Hassan Reddick and they made him the fifth man, the dog, going five-man front where he's a stand-up guy with four down defensive linemen. And Reddick is a guy that that fits that, okay, he's smaller, he's more of a speed rusher, but he is a hell of a run defender too. And so if I if you can play run defense, you can read that, that and hold contain on the outside there's a difference, you yeah. know? So that's why you look at a guy like Reddick, who is maybe a little bit bigger than Beasley and Rumpf, like we're talking about in terms of girth, not height. Yeah. But uh, that's why a guy like him makes it 
instead yeah. of a guy instead of you know these guys because he has that skill set and when you would watch Rump and when you watch Beasley they're not guys that are very willing or very capable of holding and setting an edge and then making a run a run uh, defensive tackle right 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 and I like and I look at the feet too I always look at the feet and see how functional is this guy could he actually you know like I look at Hassan Reddick and he's a guy that I say he's someone I could see playing small forward in the NBA and like being a legit defender. Like that dude is fluid. His feet are light. He can cross people over. He can, you know, alter probably, his probably, rush. Path. Probably a point guard. He's probably a point guard. He's a little, yeah, he's, not, he's, he's not big three. enough. No, he's like, I think yeah, he's I always, like six, two. I always think he's, they're bigger, you know, cause they're mm-hmm. in the NBA in, in the NFL, but yeah, regardless, he's someone that you look at and you're like, this guy is like an NBA athlete. Yeah. And some of the guys, you know, you know, like we say, Chris Rumpf and uh, Vic, it's just, it's not happening. And and being in too high cut is also a big problem that a lot of edge rushers do have. And you will see coming out of college and, you know, they dominate in college, they get to the NFL and it's just a big hindrance for them. Um, but uh, anyway, my third bust that I was just going to bring up real quick was uh, Zach Bond out of Wisconsin, 2020 mm-hmm. draft, third round pick, 10th pick of that uh third round 6'2, 238 32 and three quarter arms nine and five eight hands um this guy got a lot of round one talk and uh i don't know why <laughs> i mean he was productive in college i don't really remember how you felt about him but he was another one that i looked at and said he's so good in a straight line um he's not too high cut his body looks good but he's so good in a straight line but for some reason, anytime you ask him to alter his rush plan at all, uh, he just, you can tell how linear he really is. And I think Lance Zerline, I, I wrote this down, Lance Zerline in his um, evaluation of him put mechanical in his rush counters. Anytime he was asked to counter inside or outside or do anything that was not his initial path, you could just see how stiff and like robotic he became because he had to think about it. He wasn't just a natural. Oh, I can sw- I can you know I can swivel my hips or dip and bend. It was very much a mechanical approach to pass rushing. So even though he was so explosive and even had a little bit of hand strength, another undersized guy that just didn't have the right counter moves and the right ability to be a counter rusher. And you know I don't know even know what roster he's on right now. I know he got drafted by the Saints, but since then I'm not actually sure what happened. If, I know he got moved off ball at one point, which is also not a good sign. You don't want to move him off ball because you draft him to be a stud edge rusher. And being as explosive as he was, and now he can't do that. You got to move him off ball. You know that's not the best start to your career. No, and so Bond was a guy. I'll be honest, I didn't study a lot, yeah. and you know it's because when I initially watched him, I wasn't that impressed with him, and I moved yeah. on to bigger and better players. You know, so I, that sounds so harsh to say. It's like that's yeah. like me being being nasty. But uh, <laughs> Bond wasn't a guy that I looked at very much that year, um, because you know I, I saw. I thought it was mediocre. You know, I was thinking yeah. later round pick and that year, I think I was running, it was, uh, I think I had a website. And so I was trying to get scouting reports out on the top players and didn't go as deep as I have gone the last few years and didn't spend a lot of time on guys that were, you know, that I thought were going to be fifth, sixth, seventh round yeah. picks. Whereas that's where I thought he was going to end up going. So when he goes in the third, I was kind of like, whoa, well, I was wrong about that one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Not really, not so, apparently. Not so much. Not so much, man. I mean, and, and the thing is, is a lot of these guys that maybe get to the NFL and they relied on their athletic traits only in college, they take some time to develop. Like we've seen with Chenna Nuosi was a prime example. He was the 2018 draft. He took two, three years, I believe, came on so strong after that. And now he kind of has his spot as a situational rusher. He's become a better run defender so he can, you know, play base and play a lot more snaps. Caleb on Chason from LSU, probably this looks like his year where he, he's starting to through two games. He looks like a guy that might become, I mean, cause I remember coming out of college, man, I think Chris Sims compared him to like Von Miller. Uh, he got comparisons to Alden Smith by like Lance Zerline. And I didn't see that. I thought he was too passive. I thought his motor ran real cold. Sometimes I didn't see a lot of counters in him. I didn't see a lot of hand strength. But you couldn't deny the long frame, the height, the speed off the edge, the burst, you know, the dip and bet. There was a lot. He had the outlines of everything you'd look for. Um, but I think he just relied too much on athleticism in college. Maybe he's about to come on strong this year. I hope so, because he was a promising prospect. But 
you know, some of these guys, it's just, you, you think you're so athletic, then you get to the next level and you're like, shit, everyone's the same as me. Now I got to add things to my repertoire. I don't even know, but then you're like, what am I supposed to add? And so I think that comes with good coaching that comes from a good <clears throat> team that probably has depth that lets you sit for a while and kind of watch the vets or the coaching staff doesn't need to rely on you. There's not that pressure, but um, yeah, I don't know. I have one hit for us today. Well, one Chase on Chase about. on is inter- is an interesting one too because he was part of that LSU national championship team that had so yeah. many NFL players on it. You know, so when you when you even look at that defensive line that they had, Chase on got a lot of one on one opportunities when he was at LSU, and that's because. They had to block everybody else. You had to account for everybody in that on that back end and the linebackers and in the secondary because they were Dave Aranda was doing a great job dialing up where he was bringing pressure from, giving different looks all the time. It was a, it was teach tape, honestly, yeah. in terms of of a scheme, how you put a scheme together. Got Dave Aranda the job at Baylor, so yeah. he was unblocked know, a lot, which made no sense. Made no because sense. yeah, but but if you think about you got to remember like so let's actually bring this up now because we have this you got to think about text so Shane if you'll go ahead and bring that up pull that up for us I talked about this last week I said we're gonna have to go over this a little bit in this episode defensive technique alignments um, they're a little bit confusing at first but once you start to figure it out it makes sense once we you find the about- center. You're good. Yeah, yep. find the square. Yep. That's the center snapping the ball. The center right there in the middle. That's the zero. Now, where you're seeing these numbers, that's where the helmet of the defensive lineman is lining up. Okay, so that's so zero is like literally helmet to helmet with the center. One is to the, his outside shoulder. Two eye inside the guard. Two is on uh, on head on with the guard. Three is outside. Four eye inside shoulder of the tackle. Four is head on with the tackle. Five is outside shoulder. And then when you get to the tight end, this is where a lot of these stand-up edge rushers kind of start to come in. That's why I wanted to bring this up. Seven is inside. Six is on the tight end. And nine is outside shoulder. Okay, so there is no eight tech. If somebody says, oh, yeah, yeah, we're running an eight tech, it doesn't exist. Okay, and if you're they don't know what they're talking this- about. And if you're a beginner at this, we're so sorry that six and seven don't make any sense to you. They still don't to yeah. me either. And it's just accept it. And, you know, I don't know. Hammered in your I brain. Think the idea, I think the idea is if you look at three, that's basically the B gap. Five, it's like the inside of the C gap. Seven would be the outside of the C gap. I think uh, that's probably what it is. I don't know. Bear Bryant came up with it. He's dead. You can't ask him. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, but he's the one who came up with this. So that's the tech. So when we're, so when I'm talking about a really good scheme and getting looks, what you do is you align these defenders into the right techs to disrupt pass, uh, pass blocking sets basically. And so what you look also, so a really good one to disrupt. If you want to take the guard and the tackle away from the tight end, you're going to put a guy at the three. Okay. That's going to be your first start because you want that three to probably be doubled. You want the tackle and the guard. You want the tackle to be looking for something better. That's a potential one-on-one if the tackle gets off too early. You're going to put a zero on the center. Then when we come to the tight end side, you're going to put another three. And then you're going to go with a five. And then what I was talking about with the Eagles, they were putting a seven or a nine with Hassan Reddick. So that's basically what they did to disrupt everything uh, the pass rush at pass blocking sets, because what you're doing is you're forcing all these guys to decide if there's going to be, you know, a double team and then you're overstacking to another side. That's how you get one-on-ones with tight ends. When you have one-on-one across the board and you have a guy at a zero or a one that cannot be single blocked, you're going to, they're going to double him. If you got five guys on the line, now you're one-on-one with a tight end. You know, so I, I see all these guys, these quarterback gurus going, don't get, don't let Miles Garrett be one on one. Don't let TJ Watt be one on one with the tight end. Well, they disrupted the pass blocking set because of the, their alignment and the way that they stunted or the way they moved with it. So yeah, that's the tech alignments. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate appreciate you pulling that up. That well, so what we're kind of talking about right now is guys are when they're stand up, they're mostly in the five or the seven. Sometimes if you got a tight end, you're going to be in a nine. Basically. Yeah. 
<clears throat> you usually won't see a guy rush the passer from a five technique because if you can get him wider and you know force the offensive tackle <clears throat> to defend more space, that's what you want to do. You rarely see him in a five, but um, like the Eagles for a while now have gotten their guys out in the wide nine. Sometimes I mean mm-hmm. they do a lot to get their guys in like the most op- like the most beneficial <clears throat> rush spots they can, and just you know wreak havoc on them and then. Uh, when they do this bear front where they got five guys up there and Hassan Reddick just does whatever he wants on the outside, that's that's impossible. <laughs> impossible to defend. And we see the Cowboys trying to do it now. They do a lot of different stuff with <clears throat> all their depth with Dorrance Armstrong, Demarcus Lawrence, Micah Parsons. There's just too many people to defend and too much blocking to account for. You know what I mean? And I, I don't even know as an offensive coordinator, if I played Dallas, like looking at their scheme, I'm not really sure. Who do you choose to run away from? You can run away or roll out away from Parsons, and he's going to chase you down backside. You can go right at him, but he's going to beat somebody up and come at you. So there's really um, having a guy, an elite stand-up rusher that you can really move around the formation is amazing. And Micah Parsons is an alien, and he's honestly not even a guy that I would say moves like a lot of these other guys that we see. Would you say he is such a linear pass rusher as far as – He's just kind of a brute, and he's not a guy that has to rely on. Like we see Hassan Reddick, for instance, Josh Uche on the Patriots, uh, even Von Miller for a long time was like this, where you see them doing all this crazy, you know, ghost moves and stuff to get guys hands off them and basically never be touched. Micah Parsons doesn't care what you do to him; he can run through you, around you. Um, he's kind of a brute, and for an undersized guy and a stand-up edge rusher that we, you know. A lot of people said coming in, is he big enough to be an edge rusher full-time? I, I, there's not really a blueprint to stop him. Um, he's so fast. He's so twitchy. He's so athletic and strong that he has every – he's the prototype edge rusher um, when I when I look up like stand-up guys. He is the person that I think sets the standard for the rest of these guys. Yeah, and, and the other thing too about him is you have to remember he didn't even play edge rusher at Penn State. He was an inside yeah. linebacker. He's an off-ball linebacker. And Travis that's what the that's what the, that's what the Cowboys drafted him to be, and they didn't even put him at, at at edge rusher until they had some injuries and were like, "Hey, we need somebody out here." And Micah's like, "Oh, I could do it. I could yep. do it, Coach. Put me in." And he goes in there and he's a freaking stud. So, but yeah, what you're kind of talking about is, and I think we kind of briefly mentioned this last week. We were like, "Oh, we'll talk more about this next week because that's our stand up guys," and yeah. he's really not a hand in the dirt guy. Uh, he just flows. He's like water. Literally, he takes the path of least resistance always, and he doesn't. I don't know how he does it. And it's not so much that he's even just linear because, you know, there's a big sack that he had against Zach where he started it basically all the way down at the wide nine, looped all the way around to the A gap, and boom, he's up and nobody. You can't, you cannot scheme against that. You can't, you cannot prep for that. There's no way to because there's no way that these three offensive linemen. You know, the tackle, the guard, and the center are going to see this guy looping all the way around because he's wide nine and he's got the speed to come all the way around. Like, it's, I, I don't say this with light words because we talked about him last week and he is the all time great, but it is Reggie White esque. Yeah. Yeah. It's baby it Reggie. It really White. is. Baby Reggie White. Yeah. I think we saw Micah do the hump move on last year. I forget what I don't even remember what game that was, but he pulled off a hump move, and I'm like, yep. bro, he's two, he's like two fifty. Yeah, uh, there's no excuse for letting this little man, you know, little man, <laughs> but two fifty as an edge rusher against a three twenty tackle. There's no excuse. There's no way that should work. But he is like, you know, I was talking about other guys being basketball players. He is like a hundred meter dash sprinter when he comes off the ball. Like he he's not someone that you see rely on slow counters all the time. He is someone that just goes 100 miles per hour, <clears throat> and then you know whatever's in front of him is going down. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. But look, I I can't stand the Cowboys. Um, as an Eagles fan, I can't stand the Cowboys. But just as him. a ten, as a Tennessee fan, I can't stand Alabama. I still respect and appreciate watching what Nick Saban has done at that program because that's greatness. We don't get to witness greatness everywhere we look. You know. Uh, Aaron Donald, defensive lineman, we'll probably talk about next week when we get into defensive tackles. Great. That's, That's greatness. You know yep. what I'm saying? That's greatness. 
So you have, I think that you have to look at even like even Tom Brady. We're never, we're not going to see another Tom Brady just pop up out of thin air. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's not going to be another six round quarterback that's going to come into the NFL by storm, win six Super Bowls. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, we probably won't even see that from a first overall pick. Like, I, I don't think anyone will come in and do that and dominate at the level that he did. I mean, because well, once- you can make the argument and say if, if Reed sticks around with Mahomes, maybe they'll come close. But, you know, that's my point being that you don't you you see greatness. You have to appreciate it. And if you don't, then you're not a true fan of the game. I don't think or a true analyst for that matter. Yeah. Um, I look at Michael Parsons. That's greatness. That's yeah. pure greatness. There, there's no way to stop him. Nobody's figured it out yet. I don't think anybody's going to figure it out, especially with the way that you know Dan Quinn is dialing him up right now. We have to appreciate that kind of greatness because we're not going to see another 6'2", 6'3", 250-pound alien step into the league anytime soon and dominate in this manner. He can play anywhere on that defense too. Dude, you could probably put him in safety, and he could probably play safety. You know what I'm put saying? Him, like, put him at strong safety. He's the next Cam Chancellor, possibly. Yeah, uh, he's better than Cam Ooh. Chancellor. He's right. bigger, faster. <laughs> yeah, bigger, faster, stronger. But yeah, oh man, maybe I don't know about his hands. Maybe he's got bricks for hands. I don't know. I don't care. Just don't hit know. people, dude. Just hit people. Yeah. Well, Just, that's the thing too. It's like someone asked me. Uh, a buddy of mine who's just he's kind of like a, he's just a fan of football he doesn't really you know get into the stuff we do but he was he watches it all the time and he's like why didn't micah parsons go higher like you know he goes this edge rusher <laughs> should be like that's a first overall pick what happened and i said well this is proof that college coaches don't always know what they have they don't know best and that's you know not saying they're not brilliant men they are obviously you know these guys are running d1 programs they can manage and and do so many things all at once. It, it's astounding, but it doesn't mean that they get every single player right. Micah Parsons, yeah, if you watched him at Penn State, I was one of the main guys that was for a while like, what? I don't get this Micah Parsons prospect because clearly he has all the athletic gifts, but they got him at Mike Linebacker. And if a team drafts him to play Mike Linebacker, you're not getting a guy that is suited best there. Like, he doesn't look great. You can tell he's disinterested too. He just looks like he could do so much more. And he played Ed Rusher in high school. And I tweeted at one point pre-draft. I said, if you put Micah Parsons to Ed Rusher, you might get the next Von Miller. Like, really? And sure enough, this dude comes in and you like, yeah, don't limit these guys. But James Franklin had him at Ed Rusher or at uh, Mike Linebacker. Yeah, and we're not going to talk about all the people that James Franklin's messed up. That's a whole podcast. Yeah, episode. That's, <laughs> I got four hours worth of notes for that. Oh my god! But yeah, I mean, no. If Micah Parsons is an edge rusher at, at Penn State, yeah, he's the first overall pick, and it's not even close. Like, this is like Miles Garrett level prospect. So mm-hmm. he he was not this guy in college simply because he didn't play this position. And I think that's something that we overlook so much. Is like coaches don't always put their guys in the right spot to succeed. And that's okay as long as, you know, they find their way eventually. And luckily, Micah Parsons went to the Cowboys. And, you know, the rest is history so far because See, he's an I remember fault. you. I remember you tweeting that about Micah, too, because I was not a fan of Micah either. I was like, this guy just sat out a year of football. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, because he sat out I'm the whole COVID that. year. Yeah. Yep. And so I'm like, and now he's going to come out. And we haven't seen him play in a year. And he's wasn't that great as a linebacker to begin with. And we're just going to expect him to be a starter. Yeah. Like in like a, a elite athlete, which or elite prospect, which is everyone's talking about him as in what world, but um, <laughs> that's an edge rusher, man. I mean, that's the other thing too, is you, you, you recruit this guy at a high school who is an elite edge rusher in high school. I mean, he's a five-star and I went and watched a bunch of his huddle stuff and in high school, I mean, yeah, he's this kid's, an absolute alien in high school and you somehow put him at Mike backer. But like we said, Hey, and it's, and just as a little side note, it's also worth pointing out. We almost didn't have Micah Parsons is a, the story came out when he was drafted that his mother was talked out of abortion, which is really interesting. If you think about that too, like we almost didn't get to see this. Yeah. That's something, that's something that I think you kind of have to take into consideration there as well where it's like wow like life is truly precious man life is truly precious it's weird and it's precious but 
yeah, I'm glad he's here. We got some good football cousins. We got a great football play. You got Ooh. the mini Reggie White boy. <laughs> yeah, man. No, so um, you said you got you said you got a couple guys that worked out, and then we got a question yeah. from our friend friend of the pod, Jordan Silvera. Yeah, your buddy. I, I'm really starting to like that guy. Hey, you're starting to come around on this guy, huh? Yeah. He's- I'm like, hmm. <laughs> he's taking shots. Like, oh, okay, okay. That's what he's there, yeah, that's what he's there for. He's like, every, every questionable take or troll job I pull on Twitter, he's definitely there to call me out or just like, you know, jab me back. So I really appreciate him. But it keeps um, you humble. Absolutely. And being, and being a Bears fan, I mean, I've had so much to say to him, but he, he makes sure to let me know that he's he's listening. He's there. Um, but I, yeah, I had two guys that just, I wanted to bring up because they were the prime examples of like the opposite of the Zach Bonds, the Chris Rumps, the Vic Beasley's. These are two dudes that, um, one's a rookie right now. And one was the 2020 draft. Uh, but they've, they're super undersized, but you know, first one, 2020 draft round two, pick 28, Josh Uche from Michigan. He came into the combine at six, one, two forty five. 33 5 eighth arm, nine and a half hand. Um, the thing that stood out for me, and, and th- I, I didn't look up his production, but last year he was put into a situational edge rusher role with the Patriots. And I mean, dynamic is not the word. Springy is not the word. This year already he started off strong. Um, and I think what he was in college was this guy that, Elite get off, elite dip and bend, you know, um, elite pass rush instincts. I'd say as a football player, bad instincts. Weird against the run. Sometimes I wasn't even sure they told him what to do against the run. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't need think he knows he's on a football field right now. But you ask him, and it was a lot like uh, Nick Benito, the current Bronco, who's a second round pick out of Oklahoma. Nick Joshua was like that, where sometimes I'm just like, I don't think he knows football is happening around him but you let him go after the passer. And despite being 6'1", 245, didn't matter who got his hand, their hands on him, did not alter him at all. You could tell he had amazing core strength. He had amazing lower body strength. Um, and when he got when he won the length battle, which wasn't a whole lot because he's an undersized guy, but when he won the length battle and got to offensive tackles chest first, big-time jolt in his hand, big-time jolt. Um, he could dispose of guys. He could push them back. He had a nice long-arm move. There was just a lot of things about him that, I said, wow, like for being an undersized guy, you would think he's three inches taller, 25 pounds heavier. And the best thing about him that he shows, I think he had a rep week one against Lane Johnson where this dude takes, he does like a full on basketball Euro step on Lane Johnson and Johnson whiffs. And I don't think he got a pinky on Josh Ute on this rep. And that's what he was in college. And that's what he's become now is this crazy looking shooting guard type athlete where he can cross you over. He can spring back and forth and then burst up field. And he's become one of the most dynamic rushers I've watched. Like you'll see, just watch his reps alone and you'll see a dude that is pulling some real interesting, real interesting move. I don't even, inter- I use the word interesting because sometimes I'm like, that didn't make sense. Like I don't even know why you would approach your pass rush that way, but he's just an undersized guy that's really embracing his undersized role. And he kind of looks like a safety running up on these dudes. So. Uh, I don't know how much of Uche you've seen, but he's just one of my oh, favorite guys to watch. Oh, you know, so I saw him at Senior Bowl. Okay. Uh, oh, 2020. Yeah, yeah. I was down there that year. Yeah. And so um I forgot about that. This the biggest thing that that yeah, the biggest <laughs> thing that, that that stood out with him was he had this rep. I forget who it was against. I know that he, there was this tackle coming out of uh North Carolina, Charlie Heck, that a lot of media guys were all over, six seven, three fifteen. Uche made him look stupid. The whole, all you know, every time they were one on one, I mean, Heck could barely touch him. Yeah, but um, he, I forget, it wasn't against, it wasn't against Heck. It was against somebody else. But he had this rep where they took a picture of him from the field level, and he was He's damn like, near parallel to the ground. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like his bend was elite. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, eleven and a half sacks last year. I went ahead and pulled the stats up for you with the Patriots. Um, Thanks, buddy. F- yeah, he became super, super, like you said, situational pass rusher. That's what he was when he was coming yeah. out. of. Like, yeah. I think anybody that looked at him knew that. Um, and I, I think that I thought he was a little bit better of a run defender that year than he is. And so I think that's where I kind of missed on him. I definitely had him closer to a first-round grade because of that bend. I got caught up on the bend, and I was like, this guy, 
I don't care. Just line him up and send him after the quarterback yeah. athlete yeah. gets down low. But yeah, no, you're right. Like he had the length issues. And then, uh, and I think that's kind of what stunned him the first couple of years in the league. And now, you know, the Belichicks, we can say that with an S because Steve is the defensive coordinator, figured out a way to uh, get him involved in that de- in that defense. And he's been really productive ever since. Yeah, man. He's just like another one of these guys that he's so much different than like a Parsons. Um, but there's a lot of ways, you know, they say there's, what's that saying? There's a bunch of ways to skin a cat or blind squirrel finds a clock twice a day. I don't know, whatever it is, but he's showing that there's a bunch of different ways to be a productive stand-up edge rusher. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he's perfected the ghost move, which when you, you know, dip under the hand to the, the tackle, he can really cross you up if, you know, you overset or, you know, throw your hands too early. So he's one of those guys that's just a really fun watch. Um, but the second guy I wanted to bring up real quick was from Wisconsin, 2023 draft. He's a rookie right now. Nick Herbig from uh, – My Wisconsin. boy, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Currently on the Steelers. He's yep. a fourth-round pick, the 30th pick in the fourth round, 6'2", 230. Absolute uh, steal. Yes, Absolute man. steal. One of these dudes that – I got, again, I got him brought up really late to me from our boy Sports Ruckus on Twitter, and he said, dude, you got to like – I, you know, you watch Big Ten football, but have you seen Nick Herbig? And I said, like, live a few times, but the way Wisconsin plays defense, like, I don't – I hate it, and I don't like watching them, so I haven't really studied. I haven't got any of his tape yet, so he sent me some clips and some tape. And I was like, dude, this guy is wild. He looks small for sure. He's 6'1", or he's 6'2", sorry, but – I think he's kind of. I think he's. I think he's six one. Oh, he's six one. He's, he's listed as six two. Yeah, stumpy doesn't have long arms, so immediately you kind of. He's the guy that he comes off the bus, and you're like, eh, and then he gets on the field, and you're like, we don't really have to plan for this guy. Like it's fine, but dude, the get off on this kid, elite. The uh, the functional strength again when guys get their hands on him doesn't affect him. Doesn't affect his rush plan. Um, he can bend and dip. He has strong hands. He has he times his hands well. He's a real technician. If he was, you know, another inch taller, another two inches taller, had longer arms, if he just had a different frame, first round pick. But he just looks the way he does and he can't control that. And that's why he you know dropped to the fourth round. But holy crap, the Steelers got a steal. And he's already making, he's already, you know, getting big time reps for them. And if he wasn't behind TJ Watt and Highsmith, he might get more reps. Yeah, yeah, and and they're developing him to probably replace Highsmith. You know, yeah, I think that they're, they're going to probably let Highsmith walk. You know, exactly. they're not going to re-sign him. And Herbig is the replacement. But no, this guy, oh, you're, this, I think I was watching 2021 tape, summer of 22. Um, I forget what game. And I had come into it, I knew about Spencer Lytle, which was the other guy that played on the other side in that 3-4. And... I, I knew that to kind of look at him and whatever. And I was like, whoa, who's this number 19 guy? Like yeah. he was a problem. Yeah. And uh, no, yeah, no, he's one of my guys. I thought that that, I thought he should have gone way before the fourth round. He should have. The Steelers got a great steal. And what does and he have? Counters. He has counters. counters. He, can, he can cross you inside. He has great feet. He can bend inside. Like he's very functional. He's not just a speed guy. He doesn't just have the little bit of power that he has. He has so many, so much ability to just cross you up and, and make you really defend all the blades of grass around you because there's not really one way to stop him. Mm-hmm. Exactly, he's crazy. Yeah, her yeah. big so, man. Yeah. Those are my two. Those are my two hits. So those are my two. So, so the thing to take away in common, I think, is you can't be a linear athlete in a sense of yeah. north south as an edge rusher. That just doesn't work. Not as a stand up guy. Yeah. Uh, that's that's if you got a scheme where you can shoot gaps all day and that's all you're doing and you're working off it, working through stunts and different things like that, maybe. Um, but that's a lot of scheming and that takes away a lot from the run defense because that now you're putting pe- people out of position to defend the run. So, uh, what I what I think that it is in common, we've kind of talked about you brought this up with is, is first number one is counters, and that goes back to exactly what I said last week it's a chess match, you, you are playing chess on the field, not checkers. And if you can understand that as an edge rusher, as a pass rusher, you're going to make an impact. And the other thing I think is functional strength. Uh, you can have speed. That's great. You can have, you can, as long as you got short burst, but functional strength, that seems to be the other key factor when you got a stand up edge rusher guy, you're going to look, 
typically the other thing to point out too is you've got three four edge rushers and you got four three edge rushers that's how it used to be 30 teams in the nfl are running a four-man front now nobody runs a three a three-man front anymore and except for the patriots and the steelers because they're the patriots and the steelers yeah so you know ed bill's always done that kind of thing where he takes guys that he he purposely goes with what other people are not doing and figures out different ways to to work it because he gets these players in the draft at a discount to fit his scheme because nobody's drafting him because they don't fit their scheme. You're going to see more stand-up guys going into four-man fronts because of what the Eagles did with Hassan Reddick. That's that rush edge over there being a run defender is becoming a crucial part. And it also allows you to keep two linebackers on the field that play down that you don't play half box, which we I think we talked about in the linebacker episode. You know, where you've got the one, you got the left box, you got the right box. That's your assignment. You're looking to fill that gap, plug that gap. So to me, um, those seem to be the, the key factors. It's, it's counters. It's being able to understand that. And it's functional strength on top yeah. of short burst. Well, I was going to say, you really got to have counters these days with what they're letting offensive tackles get away with. Uh, look at Juwan <laughs> hey, Taylor. Hey, Juwan Taylor got called for two false starts, okay, against Jacksonville. We're fixing that. <laughs> yes. He, <laughs> he actually God. has to line up in the right spot now. So, Thank God. <laughs> but, I mean, the game that I was watching against the uh, Lions, and this kind of brings ball. us into our, our question from our friend Jordan Silvera. Uh, do you have the question in front of you? By the way? I do have the question in front of me, but go, go ahead. ahead and, what were no, you going to say about the it. false starts? We'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll and then we'll and then we'll get into the whole thing. Okay. As a Hutch hater, Jordan says, "Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> I like this guy so much." <laughs> Talk about why he's more successful as a stand-up edge than a hand in the dirt edge rusher. So, uh, one thing. Yeah, okay, and for backstory, I don't hate Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, you do. Uh, I was far lower on him in the draft than a lot of other people. And he's just not the type of athlete, I think, that he gets talked up as. And, th- and this is a perfect example. This is like a, this is all going to come for a circle right now. When he played Jawan Taylor, who lined up, you know, seven yards off the ball illegally in, in week one, the right tackle for the Chiefs, uh, mm-hmm. it was so clear and I mean, and this was clear pre-draft. I, Aiden Hutchinson is not the guy who has elite upfield burst, and he's not really able to sustain that burst upfield and threaten the upfield shoulder. So now he's playing a guy in Jawan Taylor who is <laughs> so far back. False starting. Yeah, not only is he so far back, he's false starting. So like everything is against Hutch. The good thing that Aiden Hutchinson has is he's a freaking spaz and he's an effort guy. So his motor is all over the place. And Jawan Taylor several times with that false start and being already so far back, took himself out of position, not realizing probably that guess what Aiden Hutchinson's best move is? That Spin inside move. counter. He spins inside and sometimes he just jumps inside. That's Aiden Hutchinson's bread and butter because like I said, he's not the guy that from a four point from a three point stance to win his hand with his hand in the dirt. Those type of rushers need to have that upfield burst, and usually their best move is you got to shoot upfield as fast as you can. You got to threaten that upfield shoulder of the of the tackle. That's not Aiden Hutchinson's game plan. His game plan is usually being a head up rusher, which means he's staring at the head of the offensive tackle, and what he's going to do is either try and go through them, or he's going to you know dance with you and probably spin or jump inside. Well, with Taylor being what he was that day, Hutch was giving him fits. Um, I think a lot of times Taylor won the length battle and the strength battle, which is natural because Hutch doesn't have long arms. He has actually really short arms for a guy that's six, seven, but he doesn't quit on a play. So he was giving him heck just because he, you know, it felt like the rep was over, but Mahomes hadn't thrown the ball yet. And Taylor thinks the reps over too. And next thing you know, Hutch is spinning out of it or flailing and he's getting a pressure. But the best thing that Hutch does is now that he, to answer Jordan's question, when you put him in a two-point stance, he doesn't have to pretend to shoot up field now. Now he can diversify his rush plan, and he can kind of dance with the offensive tackle, um, work his spin moves, work his inside counters, do a lot of different things that I think putting your hand in the dirt kind of limited him from. And it kind of told the offensive tackle, like, this is what I need to defend. This is what I – you know, I can focus on these two things. When you get that kind of guy who is such a, you know, a tryhard, but like his motor is just – flaming hot all game and you he does have those elite inside counter moves when you get a guy that has those two things yeah let him let him stand up 
let him go work, let him go to work on those offensive tackles and get his pressures that way because he's not Robert Quinn who's going to win with elite upfield burst and dip and bend. He's not Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. He's not those guys. He doesn't have huge power in his hands. He doesn't have a lot of burst. He doesn't really have even big time power, but he's got a lot of other tools that are going to let him be a, you know, a productive and probably a really good NFL player for a long time. You just have to get your guys in the right spot. And I think Detroit's finally figuring that out. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll see him continue to be productive because they took him second overall. He's, you know, you take a guy that high, he better be freaking good. He better be real darn good. And I thought I love that one play where he like spun inside and Mahomes <laughs> rolled out and he like, so he spins inside and then he re-engages and he like throws a jab and then he spins back outside and chases down Mahomes. Like yeah, that was, I think, I think it was the opposite. I think he spun outside and then gave up contain and spun inside. And you're like, shit, dude, like that was your contain. That was your play. No, but- that was a different play. That was a different play. Uh, I'm talking, this was, he definitely went with the inside on this one. This is like second okay. quarter. Definitely went inside. Mahomes rolled out, and then he spins back out. <laughs> He's chasing him. Was that the was that the one where Taylor ends up flat on his butt? Uh probably. Yeah, I think Dude. so. I, I think Taylor was just more pissed at that game because it wasn't like he it wasn't like Taylor wasn't winning most of the battles, but then he'd win it, and Hutch was like, "Not, I'm not quitting." You know, like there's, <laughs> I, I got more in me. And next thing you know, <laughs> Taylor's like, "Dude, like, stop, bro, stop." But that's what Hutch is always going to be—just a dude that doesn't quit and. He'll get so many cleanup sacks and TFLs that way. So that's how TJ Watt started. That's how TJ Watt started. Yeah. Cause I, I remember we were talking about this a couple of years ago because we were having this argument about TJ Watt. Yeah. And specifically about the cleanup sacks. Oh, he's just a cleanup sack guy. I'm like, but look at what he does in the short burst. He's developing the moves. It's all coming along. Yeah. Now he's the greatest pass rusher in the NFL. Is that right? We're not going to do this today. Right. Don't, don't, I'm, don't, don't I'm quoting me. the great J.J. Watt. Thank you very oh, much. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. Yep. About, yeah, quoting yeah. the greatest pass rusher, greatest defender, excuse me, in the NFL right now. That's what J.J. Watt did say. He did. He tweeted it last night. Who am I Exit, to go against? Whatever. J- yeah. And I'll, real quick, let uh, I wrote down a few. Like, If you're looking at, just for people that are asking or whatever, the guys, there are a lot of guys. Like, I think after this episode, people might think, like, oh, well, you're saying hand in the dirt rushers are not, you know, elite or the type of athletes, like, oh, you know, they're bad, whatever. That's not what we're saying. No, go back it's, and listen to the episode last week. Yeah. Listen to that. And also, there, there are so many guys that succeed with their hand in the dirt and they win off that upfield burst or with hand strength and power. Like I said, the Bosa brothers, Robert Quinn, um, Trey Hendrickson um, for the Bengals. He is not that, he's not that good of an athlete. Well, Miles Garrett can do anything. We've seen him stand oh, yeah, up. Okay. We've yeah, seen, yeah, we've seen yeah, him yeah, do anything. Yeah. But like yeah. Trey Hendrickson, if you watch that guy run around, you could play pickup basketball with him and probably be like, he's not that good of an athlete. And then you put him on a football field and put his hand in the dirt, and he is whooping offensive tackles. But that's because that's who he is. I mean, this is his game plan. This is his game. He's not going to look pretty running a 40. He's not going to look pretty in space, but line him up in the seven technique, and he's going to absolutely dominate people. And we we saw that in you know last year's what AFC Championship game or the game the year before that as well. Um, one from the past, remember El- Elvis Dumerville? It was like five eleven, six feet, super 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 yep. long arms. Not a guy yep. he would you'd probably want in space or retreating like an outside linebacker, but nope. dude, that dude in the three point stance, uh, elite upfield burst. He had big time length for his frame. He was absolutely dominant in his era. And it was because they, you know, his bread and butter was hand in the dirt rusher. And it's not to say he's not the athlete that some of these, you know, younger three, four outside linebackers are, but they're, it's just different. So um, that's what football is. It's all about finding the best roles for the athletes you have on the field and trying to get them all to complement each other and win games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's the beauty of yeah. the sport, man. That's, that's and and is. that's the thing at Doomerville is he's one of those rare athletes where he did have those long arms, and yeah. so that allowed him to, you know, to, to to not get caught up and and get off, you know, with the length of the tackle, they wouldn't get caught up in that. And he also had the natural, already the natural bend that he needed because he didn't have to go as far down as a lot of these guys to get to get under somebody because he's already yeah. there, you know. Yeah. So it's he's very rare. 
But when you find those rare guys like like Doomerville, they can be yeah. very productive for that reason. Yeah. yeah. So and I think a lot of guys. Do. Yeah. Just real quick, I think a lot of guys are we used to see down in three point stands are like you just Trayvon Walker, the first overall pick from last year, went before Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. If you watch what Jacksonville's already doing with him a lot, just in the two games this year, they're letting him stand up. They're letting him stand up and be the athlete he is. And you see his athletic gifts kind of unlocking and he's finding his way to be an impactful pass rusher and get his hands on people and use more agility. I think coming out of Georgia, a lot of people assumed he was more of like a defensive tackle, defensive end tweener. I don't think he's that. I think he's a pure edge rusher. And when you watch him stand up, you can see how good his feet really are and how athletic and fluid he really is. And um, I think we're going to see a lot of, like you were talking about earlier, a lot of teams would run four man front. And that means, oh, someone like the edge rusher's hands are in the dirt. Well, now you can clearly see teams will run that, but they'll just say, eh, edge rusher, do whatever you want. Like stand up if you want. Like that's, if that's what you feel comfortable doing, go for it. And there was one year in, in Denver too, where they had Von Miller's hand in the dirt. And I remember he was like, I hate, you know, I hate it. And then, they let him drop some weight and stand up again. And dude, obviously we know what happened after that. Von Miller is the greatest pass rusher in Bronco history. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. But they, they thought that uh, Walker was a, a tweener like that because that's how Georgia used him. But when you watched his upper and lower body synchronicity. Yeah. Another example, dude, another example of college coaches, not knowing what to do with their boys to get them in the best spots. And, so. and that college coach was just one back-to-back national championships. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's how, that's how easy it can be to like misplace somebody that yeah. is a first overall type pick athlete. But yeah, that should about do this episode guys. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow Justin on, on X at gam scout. You can follow me at draft Vogel, follow the show at sick pod nfl draft and next week we got defensive tackles we're going to be talking more three techs before we get into nose tackles because nose tackles are making a comeback baby yes deal with it man deal with it i can care i'll carry the episode vita (laughs) bella hey we got a nose tackle this year and i can't wait to talk about him here in a couple weeks so back at it next week thank you uh shane let's get out of here and that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.